0: We're back in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're at, we're at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you need a Bible, raise your hands. sisters will be coming forward. It sounds like we have a baby that needs to go to nursery back there, maybe. Um, or, or, no, she just got quiet right when I said that. That's pretty good. All right. Um, so we are looking at today 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we're going to look at four topics in one, one message. And so put on your seatbelts. And we're going to look at today, we're going to look at uh, what does the Bible have to say about sex? I did say that in church, yeah. What does the Bible have to say about sex? I just got your attention, didn't I? What the Bible has to say about sex, what the Bible has to say about marriage, what the Bible has to say about divorce, and what the Bible also has to say about being single. Now, these are important topics because what we're going to see is, is the Bible is very, very clear on these topics. But our culture, in many ways, is telling us other things. And the problem is many people are taking their values not from the Word of God, but from the world. And what the, the values are in the world are contrary to the values in the Word of God. A lot of people are getting advice uh, from the world, like shows like uh, reality TV shows. Please... Uh, don't go there for, for values in regards to sex, marriage, or divorce, or being a singlehood, principles of a singlehood. Uh, other people are getting their advice uh, from not only reality TV shows, maybe Oprah or you know, uh, Dr. Phil, or even worse yet, psychic hotlines psychic hotlines. Are you serious? Yeah, Some people are calling in and they're getting marriage advice on psychic hotlines or they're getting advice on whether to marry this person or that person, whether to stay the person they're with, whether to stay single or get married, whether to sleep with this person or that person, and they're going to psychic hotlines for that. We have a lot better source, church. Our source is the Word of God. The Bible says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and what? Perfect. The perfect will of God will be shown to you through the word of God. Through The will of God will be shown to you through the word of God, and that's what we want. We want God's word to be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We want our marriages to be counseled not by man but by God's word. We want our marriages to be advised not by a talk show but by what God said in his inspired and infallible word of God. All scripture is inspired by God, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, including our marriages, including all these aspects we're looking at this morning. So, a little context in First Corinthians chapter 7. First of all, uh, Paul is writing Corinthians as a corrective letter. Corrective being there was issues in the church in Corinth, and the issues needed to be addressed. and He's already addressed a couple issues. One of the issues he addressed already is uh, the area of sexual immorality. Remember, there was, there was a liberal attitude towards this area of sexuality within the church to the point they were tolerating an immorality that wasn't even made uh, 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 permissible within the pagan society. Someone was sleeping with his uh, stepmom. Paul addressed it. He also made it very clear, 1 Corinthians 6, we're to be holy in this area of sexuality. Remember, he said our bodies are the temple of what? The Holy Spirit. And we're to be holy with our bodies. And remember, Corinth was an immoral, unholy place. Remember, Corinth was a place where there was a temple to Epaphrodites. And that temple of Epaphrodites had temple prostitutes. And those temple prostitutes were going out into the nighttime uh, raising funds. And and, and thousands of them every night were going out. And so in the, ch- in the church in Corinth, some people were being liberal in this area because their culture was liberal in the area. Now, if our culture's liberal in an area, does that mean we're supposed to be liberal in area? No. We're to stick with being holy. Holy means to be set apart, different than the rest of the world. Now, Interesting, too, there was lawsuits going on, so he dealt with lawsuits and saying, hey, if you have a lawsuit with one another, hey, deal with it in-house. Get some help with leadership in the church, helping you to work through that. And then, then, get counsel rather than bring it public, right? And so now, Paul is dealing with something else. And what he's dealing with now is this. He's dealing with uh, some people in the church who are being ascetic. What does ascetic mean? It means Paul had advised them to be holy in the area of their sexuality, and so they were starting to bring that in their marriages and said, well, Paul was advising us in the area of, you know, stay away from sexual immorality, so I'm just going to stay away from sex altogether. And so they were being ascetic, and they were denying each other within the sexual relationship uh, that, that sexual part of their, their, their marriages, so that's the context, and Paul's going to address that now. We know from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, 1 Corinthians was not the first letter Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 said he had already written to them previously. And then they, then they responded to Paul's letter with some more questions, and some of those questions Paul's going to deal with now in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That's the background. Got it? All right, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 now, and let's see what Paul had to say about some of these questions. First question was about sexuality. Again, uh, some of these people were denying one another because of their asceticism. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, if you're there, say amen. amen. All right, now concerning the, th- the things, verse 1 says, which you wrote, it is good for man not to touch a woman. Now, Paul throughout this chapter is gonna have a slant. And the slant that he's going to have is that they're in a distressing time. Many scholars believe they were in the midst of persecution. The Roman Empire had already started firing up the persecution. And Paul's going to have a slant in this chapter, and that is he believed they were getting close to the end, the return of Christ. Church was under heavy persecution. He believed it would be best in their present distress not to get married if you're single and you have the gift of singlehood. Because why would you bring a spouse into this persecution where Christians are being martyred and then you have to watch your spouse die or your kids die. If you could stay single, Paul's slant through this chapter, stay single with the present distress that's going on. But look at verse two. But because of immorality, each man is to have his own wife. Each woman is to have her own, what? Husband. Paul's saying because of the sexual immorality that's all throughout your culture, you know, if you need to, Get married. And one of the things that marriage does for us is it protects us when we have a healthy sexual relationship within the marriage, it protects us from the immorality that's flowing all throughout our culture. The Bible's very clear about marriage. It's a good thing. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, 22, he who finds a wife finds what? It's a good thing. He finds a good thing. I just heard an amen back there. Way to go, brother. Amen. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. And obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 5 18, same t- topic. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Amen. Marriage, uh, when God created it, it was interesting. He created creation, you know, in six days. After each day, he said, It is good. It is good. It is good. He created man. He said, It is very good. You know, the one time that God said, It's not good? When he looked at man alone, he said, that's not good. I don't create a woman. Took him out of the side. The two became one flesh. and Marriage was begun and ordained by God. It's, it's good. Verse 3, the husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. <clears throat> the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, The wife does. Now, what's that saying? It's saying, when you get married, you're not your own anymore. When you get married, you become one one flesh. The two become one flesh. And your wife's body is your body. The husband's body is the wife's body. You're not your own anymore. You're one. So, verse 5 says, Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, And come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Here's what Paul's saying about sex. It's good. It's good, and it should be offered to one another willingly and even excitingly. It shouldn't be something you're squashing in your marriage. Stop depriving one another. And some of your husbands, I I see it, you go, yeah. (laughs) That's the new memory verse for the refrigerator, sweetheart, this week. (laughs) I'm using that one. Pastor John I remember. I don't, even, I don't even memorize that one. <laughs> Verse 6. But this I say by way of concession, not of command. Yet I wish that all men, were even as myself am, however, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it's good for them to remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control... Let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Interesting. Paul's, again, his slant stay single, distress, persecution's coming and it's here. It better if not to get married right now unless you have to. But Paul says there's a gifting there. Paul acknowledges here, interesting, that he wasn't married at the time. He's single. And Paul, I believe, had the gift of singlehood. But you gotta have the gift. Because Paul says if you don't have the gift of singlehood, and and it is a gift. It's a gifting where you could be content, you could be celibate, you don't have to get married, you could be single the rest of your life, and you could stay that way. But if you don't have that gift, it's better to marry than to burn, burn with passion. You know, the fourth strongest drive we have is this sexual drive. The only thing that's stronger is our need for air, water, and food. Fourth strongest is your sexual drive. So let me tell you something. The first point I want to get across here, what Paul's saying here, very important. Sex is meant by God to be enjoyed and viewed as sacred within the marriage relationship. Don't be an ascetic and push away this thing that God has told you. It's good. It's a good thing. Let the founder of your youth be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Enjoy that within your marriage relationship. And what I've seen in my marriage counseling and my uh, uh, counseling I've done the last 31 years of ministry, oftentimes when a marriage doesn't have this physical intimacy and it isn't being enjoyed, it causes some real dents and some real problems within that marriage. Now, I get it when there's sickness. I get it, ladies, when you're pregnant and having babies, there's issues. And I get that. I get that but don't hold back in this area because it will bless your marriage as you enjoy it. It's a wonderful th- gift from God. It's sacred, it's beautiful, it's not bad, it's great. You know what? <laughs> Interesting too, uh, I know some of you husbands are going yeah, here like this and some of your wives are going, John, he's gonna use that as ammunition. <laughs> that scripture verse is gonna be in my refrigerator and Pastor John told you to do this, you did do this. Husbands, don't go there, don't go there there. Okay. If you want more physical intimacy in your marriage, here's what you here's where you need to go. You need to start courting your wife again. You need to start dating your wife again. You need to start getting more emotional intimacy and working on that love relationship. So that as that emotional intimacy grows, the physical intimacy will be there again. Amen. Amen, wives. Oh, I heard a couple wives. Amen. 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 And. So the important thing is if we want better physical intimacy as husbands within our marriages, we need to work on the emotional intimacy and the dating of our wives and courting again. But wives, let me tell you something else. Now I'll talk to the wives. Wives, let me tell you something. Don't deny your husband in this area because one of the ways that you could really help to affair-proof your marriage is by having a good physical relationship with your husband. And now let me tell you something else. There's a lot of There's a lot of temptation out there, and there's a lot of competition out there, and you want to have the best physical intimacy and physical relationship you could possibly have with your husband, and that will safeguard your marriage in many ways. And I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, this is important. This is an important part. And Paul, go back to the verse again, verse 5, Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time. So so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. That's important. Now, if you want to take a break and do some prayer and fasting for a few days or something, I I get that. That's good. Paul says that's good. But don't make it a long-term thing. This is an important issue of having a healthy marriage. View sexuality as good. It's a gift from God and something given for your marriage, that will bless your marriage and bless your spouse. Amen? Now, let's go on, quickly, please. Let's talk about marriage now. It says this, verse 10. But to the married, I give instructions, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not divorce. His wife, not interesting, Paul says... This commitment to marriage is not given by me, but given by who? The Lord. When did he do that? Back in Matthew chapter 19, he was very clear on the commitment that's supposed to be in marriage. Matthew 19, verse 3 says Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? This is Jesus speaking. And Jesus said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become, notice, one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Now look at Jesus' words here. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And they said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Interesting. Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no man separate. The two are one flesh, and not only that, Divorce is absolutely wrong, except for one biblical exception, and that's immorality. Immorality is what? It's pornea in the Greek, it means this, it means sexual immorality outside the boundaries of a marriage relationship. And sometimes what Jesus is saying is sometimes what happens when an affair happens, an adultery happens, it wrecks the marriage so bad, and the distrust, and it, it, just, it causes such a train wreck, that's sometimes divorce happens, and Jesus gave that out. Now, Paul's about to give one more biblical exception besides adultery, but there's only two, as far as I know, in the New Testament that allow for Christians or a Christian to get a divorce, and we'll see that in just a minute. But here's what Paul's saying here is, hey, as as Christians who follow Jesus Christ, we have a great advantage in this area of marriage. You know why? Because we don't have an out. And if you're married... Even if there's problems, even if there's issues, we need to work it out. We need to stay committed to it. Because when God has joined together, Jesus said, let no man separate. And so that's a great advantage to us as Christians because what we're seeing in the world is the world just says, hey, if you're not happy, do something about, you know, forget it. The world's saying, hey, if there's irreconcilable differences, it's okay to get a divorce. Cut me a break I've been married for 31 years, and we've had 31 years of irreconcilable differences. <laughs> really have. Heidi still says it. She goes, you are just so different than me. <laughs> it's irre- irreconcilable. I mean, we are, and she's right. I, she, we are, I mean, opposites are tracked. We are so different. But have we gotten a divorce in the last 30 years? No. We are more committed to one another more than ever, even though I am so different than Heidi. I really is. She just shakes her head sometimes and goes, you are really different. But she stayed committed to me because she's a Christian that says what God has joined together, by no means are we going to separate this thing. And Then he goes on. But to the rest of it I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, He must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband, and he consents not to live with her, she must not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For whoever does, for otherwise her children are unclean. But now they're holy. Here's what Paul's saying now. He's addressing probably another question that the Corinthian church sent, sent sent Paul. Paul, what about if I'm saved now? and I have an unbelieving spouse, and they're, they're d- dividing my family, they're messing up my kids, should I leave my husband, or should I leave my wife, because they won't get saved? What does Paul say? No. If you have an unbelieving husband, stay with them. If you have unbelieving wives, stay with them, because you'll have a holy influence on them, and you'll have a chance to lead them to Christ, and then you'll have a holy influence on your kids, because you stay committed to this marriage even though you have different beliefs and, and one is not getting saved yet. And here's what I've seen the last 31 years of marriage. People, as Christians practice this principle of staying with their spouse, even if their spouse isn't a believer, and then praying for that spouse, and then loving that spouse, and then witnessing to that spouse, and living it before that spouse. I've seen time after time that spouse come to Christ. Sometimes it takes years, but I've seen it happen over and over and over again. And wives, here's a word for him in First Peter 3 and how to do that. It says, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external braiding of the hair, wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of the Lord. See that? Husband as an unbeliever, sees your gentle, quiet spirit, your Christ-like spirit, Sees, sees that you respect him and honor him as a husband even though he's not saved yet you're praying for them and loving them, hey, good chance you could lead them to Christ. I've seen it, I've seen it. I was talking to somebody this week, just I think yesterday, about um, one of my best friends that, you know, in, this, in this church. He's gone to be with the Lord. He had stomach cancer, but um, i missing. name was Jose, wonderful guy. Love the Lord. He is one of the most on-fire Christian men I've ever met. I remember he'd, he'd come to our men's breakfast and he would light up the room. We'd all be kind of slumping at 7.30 in the morning sometimes at men's breakfast. He'd come in and say, hey, there's been a funeral around here or something? You guys need to wake up. We're here to study the Word. Yeah, he'd had, he had a little rooster call too. Bimmer Jose? Loved Jose. It's with the Lord now. And you know what? I mean, he was just, he was an example of a godly man to me. It's a brother in Christ. He helped build this stage up here. We spent hours together building this stage. Hours. But you know, Jose's testimony, he t- shared with me a number of times, was he was lost as a rock. He was lost. I mean, nightclubs, partying, all kinds of stuff. And he had a problem, though. He had a wife we loved who wandered into a place called Calvary Chapel, Old Bridge, New Jersey. And she came to that church, Jolie, and she got saved. And then she, her whole life changed. And then she started witnessing to Jose, and Jose said, you know, my like, guess. But then she finally got Jose to come to church. And I'll never forget Jose sharing this with his testimony to me. He said, I came to that church. And the first thing I said to my wife is, I'm not going to listen to that white boy up on the stage up there no. What's that, what's that white guy telling me up there? I've not listened to that. But he kept coming. And then he shared with me as some Sundays he'd come and as Pastor Lloyd was sharing the word, the Holy Spirit would just speak through Pastor Lloyd. And he actually said he saw a few times Pastor Lloyd was like glowing because they anointed the Holy Spirit. And he pushed it away and pushed it away. But finally, one Sunday night he came to the service and Terry Clark, who does our worship on the piano sometimes for our men's conference, anointed worship leader, just did an incredible time of anointed worship, and then did an altar call. And guess who got saved? Jose did. And his whole family tree was changed. And he's got kids now that love the Lord, and he's got Christianity as a part of his family tree now, because he had a wife who didn't leave him as an unbelieving spouse. Do you see that principle there? Stay committed. Stay committed even if there's an unbeliever involved. But there is an exception. Verse 15, yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to what? Peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you'll save your husband? How do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife. So, there's one other biblical exception now given by Paul, and that is if you have an unbelieving spouse, and that unbelieving spouse leaves and stays left. What are you supposed to do? Now, my counsel is if you're married to an unbeliever and they leave you and they separate from you, give it a whole season, give it some time. Oftentimes, I'd even counsel, wait till they get remarried or something, and then you're totally free. But what this biblical exception here is, if you have an unbelieving spouse and they leave you and they abandon you and they stay left, it says you're not under bondage anymore. What does that mean? You're not under, you don't have to stay celibate and single the rest of your life. You're free because God's called you to peace. So two biblical exceptions. One's adultery. The other one, uh, to divorce, I believe, is if you have an unbelieving spouse and they leave you and they stay left, it says you're no longer under bondage, you're free and you're called to peace. Make sense? But the second principle we've seen here, first principle is sex is meant to be enjoyed The marriage, viewed as sacred. Second principle, hey, listen, second principle is be committed to your marriage and stay committed. What God has joined together, let no man, let let no woman separate. Lost another one of my heroes this week. Billy Graham. Golly, I love that guy. And I was laid up this week from the surgery, and so I did a lot of watching news about Billy Graham. He's my hero. And I was watching him, and oh, man, everybody that gave reports about him, including family members, said he was one of the most humble men I've ever met. His life wasn't about him. It was about Jesus and other people. He was just about preaching the gospel. All he wanted to do is preach the gospel and get people saved. What a great example for us. Heaven just got another well done, good and faithful statement up there. So I'm watching the news about Billy Graham. And uh, they showed a clip from his 95th uh, birthday party, which was four years ago. And they had everybody there. I mean, they had presidents. They had, I mean, George W. Bush. They had uh, all these different presidents. And they had incredible, they did a big thing for his 95th birthday party. And then he comes up to the podium and Billy Graham looked 95 years old when he came up to the podium. I mean, he was worn out. I mean, just he, he, Parkinson's kicked in. I think it was probably one of his last public appearances was his 95th birthday party. But I was watching Gets up to the podium first thing he says 95th birthday party presidents there to honor him he goes i know this is my birthday but i don't want this to be about me my wife ruth has been in bed for the last 6 months really sick and i want to honor her today and not only do i want to honor her today but i want you to know she's the greatest woman i've ever met That's after 70 years of marriage. That's what happens when Christians stay committed to one another. And they didn't have always easy times either. Because there were periods of times within Billy Graham's uh, ministry, he'd be gone six months at a clip overseas and everything else. One time, they mentioned this in the, one of these news things on too, one time, uh, one of these stints, he was gone for months at a time, and a reporter, she had five little kids at home, a reporter asked her, hey, have you ever considered divorcing this guy that keeps leaving you and going overseas and stuff? And she goes, no, I've never considered divorce. Uh, murder, maybe. <laughs> but she stayed committed. And she said, no matter what, till death do us part. And then what happens? The thing gets better and the commitment's there and God blesses and look at what Billy Graham does. And a lot of what Billy Graham has done is because of his family and the family that was behind him and the wife that was behind him also. So guys, ladies, let's stay committed. Hey, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, sickness and health, Until death do us part, we're going to stay committed to our, 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 our marriages because Jesus said what God has joined together, let no man separate. Amen? Let's go on now. Now, the rest of this chapter, it's about singlehood. The rest of the chapter, we're going to go through it quickly. It's going to be Paul's slant. If you could stay single, stay single because of the present distress, the persecution. And we'll look at one more principle as we get to the end of this, but let's go through it. Verse 17, only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each. In this manner, let him walk. As I so direct in all the churches, was any man called when he's already circumcised? He's not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He's not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision Uncirc- is, is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each man must remain in the condition in which he's called. One of the other questions they had is now that, now that this... Uh, now that we're Christians, should we make this move? Should we make that move? Should we stop? You know, should we stop being a Jew? Stop being Paul? Saying this to the Christians there: Hey, be content in your circumstances, and don't make drastic changes in your circumstance just because you've come to Christ right now. That's important. I've seen people that get saved, and as soon as they get saved, they say, "I'm supposed to be a missionary right now. I'm going overseas next week." No. Bloom where you're planted is basically what Paul's saying here. Stay content in your present condition. Don't make too many changes right after you become a Christian in regards to your current uh, patterns of life. Now, that doesn't mean immorality. If you're immoral, make changes. I'm talking about jobs. It's talking about things like that. In the verse 21, were, were you called while a slave? Don't worry about it. But if you're able to become free, rather do that. For he was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman, likewise he was called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one, here it is, each one is to remain with God in the condition in which he is called. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who, by the mercy of the Lord, is trustworthy. I think then that it is good in view here it is the present distress that it's good for a man to remain as he is. Paul saw the persecution. He saw what was going on within the Roman culture. And he said, hey, with this present distress, remain as you are. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Don't seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life. (laughs) And I'm trying to spare you. You know what Paul's saying there? Hey, marriage ain't easy. And if you get married, you're going to have some troubles. You know, the people I'm most concerned about when I do premarital counseling are the couples that come to me in the sessions before I do their wedding and they say, other people have had troubles, we'll never have troubles. Other people might argue in their marriages, we'll never have arguments. We'll never have conflicts. You know what that that is unrealistic expectations, and I break that bubble as good as I can during those council sessions because realistically, it's not easy to take two people from two different family backgrounds, two different personalities, all kinds of differences, and become one flesh in one household. There's going to be issues. There's going to be issues. Marriage ain't easy. It's beautiful. It's God-given. It can be blessed, but there's stuff you've got to work through. Verse 29 but this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from, from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none. And those who weep as though they do not weep and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice and those who as though, th- th- though they did not possess and those who use the world as though that they, they did not make full use of it for the form of the world is passing away. That's Paul's eschatology. He thought the end of the world was right around the corner. So why get married if you're single if the end of the world, world's passing away? But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is, is concerned about the things of the Lord and how he may please the Lord. but one who's married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are know, his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say to you, for your own benefit, not to put a restraint about you, but to promote what's appropriate, to secure notice, undistracted devotion to the Lord. Here's what Paul's saying about singlehood. It's good, and the church does a disservice, and Christians do a disservice. When they start putting single Christians in the second citizen class mentality. That it's that if you're not married as a Christian, you're missing out. Not necessarily especially if you have the gift of singlehood. Paul says if you're a single and you're not married, you get to focus fully on serving the Lord undistractedly, and you get to use your time and your energy not to just have to please a spouse. Because listen, when you get married, you, you are divided. You need to serve the Lord and, and be uh, focused on Him, but you also need to serve your wife. And you needs to be focus on your family also. But when you're single, you have the privilege of putting all the time and energy you want into serving the Lord. And I've seen it in our church. We remember when we did our very f- first mission trip to Costa Rica. It was when Daniel Barrett was still our youth pastor. And we, we took a whole group of about 20 to 30 uh, teenagers and some adults to Costa Rica to help with a mission down there. And we had one gentleman who was an engineer on the uh, Lake Murray Dam. His name was Jim Foshea. And, and he was hired temporarily just for a season to help with that second wall on the dam that was being put up there. When he got on the mission field, with was to Costa Rica. He was a single guy. He wasn't married at all. And he was able, because of his singlehood, to just take off for 10 days and go to Costa Rica with us. He fell in love with the mission field. And when he was done with his contract on the Lake Murray Dam, guess what he did? He became a full-time missionary. He joined YWAM, Youth with the Mission, got involved with their mercy ships, and was on a cruise ship to Crisis ports all over the world ministering and doing evangelism and doing medical needs and blessing people around the world. Now, could Jim have done that very easily if he was married? No. But because of his singlehood, he was able to focus, and, and now he's a missionary around the world. Hey, if you're single, use that time to serve the Lord. Realize it's a privilege, the time that you have in that singlehood, to do some great things realize that you have an opportunity to put all your energy and effort in serving the Lord and do that. And now Paul closes up the chapter, verse 36, and says this, but if any man thinks that he's acting unbecomingly towards his virgin daughter, if she is past her youth, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided this in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he'll do well. So then both he who gives his virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she's free to be married to whom she wishes. Another uh, thing, if your spouse dies, you're free to marry whoever you wish, only in the Lord. But notice, in the Lord. But in my opinion, she's happier if she remains as she is. And I think I also have. The Spirit of God, again, Paul's emphasizing singlehood, especially with the present distress that's going on. Here's the last point. We'll close with that this morning. First point was sex is good. It's viewed as sacred, holy. It's something you shouldn't deprive each other within your marriage. Second point, stay committed to your marriage. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Let's stay, stay in it for the long haul. We're in it. We're in it to win it. We're all in. We're going to stay committed to our marriage. Here's a third point, very important. If you're single, if you're single, be content. Be content in your singlehood. Enjoy your singlehood. Use it as a time to serve the Lord, too. And in your singlehood, realize you've got the privilege of all your time being available and free to do as God calls you to do and to serve him only. Be content in that. It was um, 30-some years ago. And I was in my last year of seminary, and um, it was interesting because um, Heidi, before I met her, she grew up in a place called Orange City, Iowa. It's the Mayberry of the Midwest. Literally, I'm serious. This place is, uh, it's like going back to the 1950s or something. And uh, she grew up in this little farm town in Iowa, and all her friends, a lot of her friends, they got married by the time they graduated from high school. And it just, that's what they do in that, you know, the farming community, everything else, a lot of them them have, you know, grandkids that are adults now, believe it or not. We just had our first grandkid. And so she got through high school and then she played basketball at the college there in her town and she met a guy and the guy she thought was the one. He was a basketball player on the college basketball team and she played college basketball and they got serious and just about engaged and then... All of a sudden, he broke up, and they were done. Broke her heart. And then she went from Christian college to being a school teacher, and she spent, you know, two or three years just, where's the husband? And she looked, and she looked, and she made some work of it. And then the Lord spoke to her. The Lord spoke to her and said, quit looking, trust me, and just serve me. And she quit looking. And she actually quit teaching after four years, and she went into full her full mode of doing youth ministry. She worked with, believe it or not, the place I got the organization I got saved through, Young Life. And she started just serving the Lord through Young Life youth ministry, and she started discipling teenage girls, putting all her time into just serving the Lord. She was single. She said, "I'm not going to look for a husband. I'm just going to serve the Lord." And then she started taking a class at a place called Fuller Theological Seminary. She started taking graduate school classes and youth ministers so she could even better serve the Lord. And she came to our seminary. And when I remember, like 30 years ago, I remember like it was yesterday, I walked past the door of that, that class I had, and all of a sudden I saw this five foot eleven blonde Dutch girl, And she was sitting with a TA that night, so I couldn't talk to her. But I said, I'm going to meet her. <laughs> Next day, she's in the cafeteria. There she is again. And I learned at this point, after two and a half years of seminary, I learned that when someone like that shows up, you better meet them quick. <laughs> Mostly guys in seminary. or in, Anyways. And so, I, just my personality I, I, this is my personality. I had my tray, I saw her in the cafeteria. And I go over there with the tray, and I went right to her table. I put my tray down on her table, and I sat down and I said, I'm John Hoppy, and I wanna meet you. And she was actually nice to me. <laughs> and game on! <laughs> and, and within nine months, nine months, we were married. Within 12 months we were our first church and that was 31 years ago. Praise the Lord. And you know, I am so glad she listened to the voice of the Spirit and she said, I'm going to be content. I'm, I'm, not, going to, I'm not going to hunt down anybody. I'm going to let the Lord bring that person into my life. I'm supposed to be with the rest of my life. And it's when she, she got to that point, Guess what God did? God did it. Lord is good, amen? Now let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much. For your word, thank you so much that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, Lord. Thank you that your word instructs us even on things like sex and marriage and divorce and singlehood, God. And help us to be people that are serious about not only just being hearers of your word but doers of your word, God. Help us to be obedient to what we're learning, Father. And I pray for this area of marriage this morning, God. Just thank you so much, God, that you want our marriages to be blessed, Thank you so much, God, that you have a plan for each marriage in this room to be a a place where the two are becoming one. And, Father, I pray for every marriage in this room, Lord. It doesn't matter what the conflicts have been. It doesn't matter what the difficulties have been. Marriage is hard. We've seen that this morning. But we know also when when a couple, especially a Christian couple, chooses to stay committed no matter what, that you can do some great things in and through that marriage. So, Lord, I pray that there'd be a new commitment, even this morning, to staying true to that person that you've given us, Lord, if we're married. Help us to have a spirit that says, I'm gonna stick to my vows, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, for sickness and health, till death do us part. We're gonna stay committed to this thing because Jesus has told us, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And God, you sovereignly brought us together for, for us to be husbands and wives. So help us to just re-up in this area of commitment to our marriages, God. I pray for this area of physical intimacy, God. Help us to realize this is a good thing, something that we shouldn't be denying each other, depriving one another of. It's something we should be just enjoying. I pray for husbands, that they'd start romancing their wives and courting their wives and just emotionally be more intimate with their wives. And I pray for wives, that they'd let some of those walls down and that you would just be blessing that and blessing that relationship, Lord. Father, I pray for single people that might be here this morning too, God. I pray that you give them a spirit of contentment where they say, I'm just gonna serve the Lord. I'm not gonna worry about being married. I'm just gonna serve the Lord. And if the Lord wants someone in my life, you will bring that person and he'll put me together with the right person. Thank you, Father, for your sovereignty and the way that you can work in these areas. And I pray for blessing. Blessing on the marriages in this room. Blessing on the families. Blessing on the single people, Lord. Just bless, Lord. And we thank you, God, for being a good, good father. And thank you that we're loved by you, Father. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen.